they'll open up the building and come back and meet one another and be with one another on the Lord's Day, as things were in the past. But our session is also called for a day of fasting and prayer. We did that yesterday. It was a day of fasting and prayer for the riots. And I'll pray in accordance to that uh, request of our body. Let us pray. We do come before you, God Almighty, to call upon you in dependence, as we see here in the ongoing unrest, uh, public civil disobedience, looting, and violence that flows from that, Lord. We see the means, causes, and occasions unto more and more wickedness in the streets, affecting our fellow citizens, and especially affecting our fellow Christians. And so, Lord God above, may we continue to pray to the end that these things would be squelched, and uh, that law and order would be returned, God, and that uh, people, Lord, would be satisfied with, although an imperfect system, because we are not in heaven, uh, a system that, Lord, that we have to deal with injustice. It's called the civil courts. It's also called, um, uh, uh, Lord, not just criminal courts, but the civil courts as well, where uh, other crimes and the like can be dealt with without such a high threshold. So we have ways of bringing about some form of justice in the here and now, God. These are the things, this is the way uh, we have covenanted with one another from generation to generation, written down in the Constitution, state constitutions, the laws and ordinances, God. And these are the processes we should go through as best we can, God. Help us, Lord, to think in that mindset, Lord. To that extent, we pray for the leadership, both civilian and military and local and national, to protect the innocent and punish the wicked. Pray for the people that are innocent, to be protected and have their eyes open to the depravity of man and their own sins. Pray, God, we pray for the guilty that they would be caught and repent. We pray for the churches, both the laymen and the leaders, to be protected from the looting and the violence, as well as their buildings, Lord, and the possessions. We pray, God, for the church leaders in particular, would not give an uncertain sound against the riots, which is clearly uh, denounced in the law of nature and the word of God. We're reminded in Exodus, Lord, that we should not go out with a mob and cause uh, that can cause trouble and dis, uh, disobedience and looting and the like, Lord. Uh, not even, uh, Lord, at times it seems as any peaceful uh, uh, assembly. Uh, always good, Lord. We ought to be wise. There's not much wisdom going on here, Lord, for they are being hijacked, if that's the case, and uh, being used, again, for a means, cause, and occasion, occasion for more looting and violence. We have laws, and we've had a history. We pray, God, that we would stand firm and certain with respect to your word and your law and the protection of your people. In the name of the Lord we pray. Amen. I'm in Psalm 12. I preach through the Psalms, usually in the evening. I thought appropriate to do the Psalm this morning. I am going one Psalm after another. Uh, this Psalm is apropos for today, as we shall see. And in fact, the evening when I go through Acts is also uh, appropriate parts of it, as we shall see as well. Let us listen attentively to God's word in Psalm 12. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly, every one with his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all the flattering lips, the tongue that speaks proud things, who have said, With our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, 
Now will I arise, says the Lord. I will set him in safety for which he yearns. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in the furnace of the earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked prowl on every side when violence, violent, vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Let us pray. With these strong words and words of imploring upon God and the promises of justice that you have given us in your word, Lord, may they become our heart song as well. And during these troubled times, Lord, let us hope in the promise of justice delivered. If you recall, I preached through Micah last year. It was a challenging book because it was a book that went to a number of topics I normally don't preach on. And it was appropriate to where we are today, even back then, of course. The book is about justice and oppression. Specifically, it was about justice and oppression in society, about those in power abusing that power against their own people. The application in Micah wasn't just for civil powers, it was also for the rich. They didn't have to be someone with military mind, they didn't have to be someone who passed the law, just simply the rich. Or, I think in America we use the word elite. Against their own people, that's what made it heinous. The nation of Israel, of course, was, at the same, was the same in membership as the Israelite church. They overlap. It was the same. We don't have that in America, so the application was disjointed. But the book was also about the future hope of Christ's coming, his first coming. It was a reminder that God cares about justice and that justice was, will be finally brought public at Christ's second return. And it is still our hope that Christ will return and bring justice. We should recognize problems and troubles in this life, brothers and sisters, and we should overcome them as best we can with social, economic, and political opportunities given to us, both individually and collectively. We should understand and apply God's law, but we should do this always in the light of God's gospel promise of deliverance for both body and soul. There was justice in the gospel. There is justice. We forget about that. Christ and the cross is about justice. He took what we deserved in justice. He upheld the law. Yea, rather, we established the law, Paul argues in Romans 3. So justice, yes, is being hijacked by wicked people and wicked men and wicked ideologies, I believe. But it's always there. The churches need to teach it in the proper proportion to our confessions in the Bible. <clears throat> but justice in this life is not always found because we live in a fallen world. Sometimes it means we must wait for this deliverance. We must wait for the justice. But the waiting, of course, is an opportunity to pray to our God and our Savior to rest in his promises. As we go through the psalm, let us learn from this psalm how we can do this. The first point, the power of the wicked, verses 1, 2, 4, and 8. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. He's hard to find. Where is he? For the faithful disappear from among the, men, uh, the sons of men. They speak idly, everyone, with his neighbor, with flattering lips. They have said, verse 4, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who will be Lord over us? And then verse 7, you shall, uh, verse 8, the wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. This is the picture he's painting. This is why he's crying out to God for deliverance. The power of the wicked seems strong indeed. The godly men are gone. They are missing this is a brief yet pointed picture of the decay of society 
reminds us of Elijah. Is it just me, Lord? Am I the only one crying out to you? Isaiah 57, we read, The righteous perishes, and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. They're outnumbered. They're outgunned. It's a depressing time. Micah, I mentioned the book of Micah, has a lot more detail. It's quite interesting. It's a smaller book, but it has a lot of detail. Micah 7.2, The faithful man has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among men. They all lie and wait for blood. Every man hunts his brother with a net. You read that going, Micah's talking to Israel? He's talking to us. The society deficient in godliness is what's being painted here. A society deficient in godliness from the lowly slave to the haughty prince. It wasn't just the politicians. It wasn't just the religious leaders which is kind of how the American scene likes to talk about things. We like to talk about the everyman, although we don't really take it seriously, I think, especially the people talking about it. They're quick to blame the leaders. As we go through Micah, you see it's also the lonely. They can't trust even their own family members, we read there in Micah. Lies are the particular problems here. A society full of mistrust and misinformation. And this was also in the church, among the priests, among the people. It's perhaps a private concern, to be sure. If you can't trust your family members, that's a private concern. Micah mentions that. Uh, here, King David wrote the psalm, um, and so therefore it's probably public and social or political issues he's dealing with. The language of verse 5 suggests this, where it says, For the oppression of the poor, for the sign of the needy. As a king, he has a duty for the poor, the deserving poor, as we shall see. Uh, and those in trouble, and he wants to hear them, and he wants to deal with them and help them as he is able. And so the issue is more likely public here. Some of the most detailed descriptions of the fallen society, again, are Micah. We read it in Micah 3, 5. Thus says the Lord God concerning the prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew on their teeth, but who prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. They say peace, but they prepare for war. They are lying. They are forked tongue. Just like you read in this text, they speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. They have smooth-sounding words. We think again of politicians, and now we can think of the leaders of mobs and riots. Micah 6.12, For her rich men are full of violence. Her inhabitants have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Again, they lie. Planned Parenthood is rich. And they're lying, 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 all the time. Because they're murdering, and they're denying the murder, they're claiming these lives matter, except when they don't matter. People see the hypocrisy. The question is, what will be done about it? Micah 7.5, do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. Their own wife. For son dishonors father, daughter rises against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Micah 7.5. Not just the nuclear family, not just the extended family, just the family and friends, people associated with one another. It's the whole society degrading, falling apart, fragmenting during Micah's time. And this song and Micah put together, and you can see part of what he's talking about, how bad it is. 
<clears throat> why he needs to go before God and pray for help and justice. It's rebellion. The wicked prowl on every side, verse 8, while vileness is exalted among the sons of men, prowling on every side. There's a bunch of them. There's a mob of them. And they're quick to do wickedness because they're not put down. Seeking out easy prey for financial gain, perhaps, for immediate gain, or just outright murder and anger. Whatever the reason, whatever the excuse, it matters not. He continues to describe it here. With our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? We're in charge, not you. We're going to do what we want. You can't tell us what to do. And that really fits the American mindset, unfortunately, even before we had our rights. We don't want to follow the law. We'll make excuses and jump, jump through, make some, find some loopholes and jump through them. It's not just being above God, of course. They're trying to be above the law, but be above God. Who is Lord over us? The problems of David and the Old Testament Jews are like our problems today, as you've heard and seen, except we have more technology. So it seems to make it easier. Yet rebels are rebels, and troublemakers are troublemakers, and liars are liars. And we ought to be able to identify them. We should not be naive and close our eyes and say, well, they don't really mean that. Are we really at that point as a country and as churches to think that way? I think we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be naive. There's lots of forked tongues out there, lots of double hearts amongst leadership, amongst the people. We must not be, not, not, not be foolish, but be wise. So that's his description of the power of the wicked. The plea, therefore, to a greater power than the power of the wicked. We have only one person to go to, and that's God Almighty. Verses 3 and 4. May the Lord cut off all the flattering lips and the tongues of, the, of those that speak proud things. This is an imprecatory prayer, isn't it? People may not put it in part of the precatory Psalms because it's just a short little section there, but he's crying out for judgments and justice. The language is okay in the proper context. I'm sure if we were in the middle of downtown and we lost our business and lost a family member, you'd have a number of precatory prayers. And you shouldn't feel guilty if you're doing it for the right reason. We've covered this before. This is important. We're seeing more and more why it's important to go through the Psalms and take seriously the theology that we're taught and hand it to us from generation to generation. We've watered it down and made excuses because we've lived in comfortable times for many, many years. Cry to the Lord to cut off the lying lips to expose them from the world would see. To cry out for justice is okay. In fact, it's proper and good and even demanded in some contexts. Are we not men and women renewed in God's image and what is part of God's image? Ephesians 4.24, put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And we want righteousness. We should desire righteousness. We are blessed indeed with a country and a history and a church that takes justice and righteousness seriously enough, at least, that we have courts where we can deal with these issues without emotions and prejudice and chaos. You have Cries, riots, before you even set a trial date, there's a problem. It's simply a problem. We know the rules. The rest of us, we're told what the rules are. We can follow the rules. We grew up with the rules. And now we're told that you don't really have to follow the rules. We'll give, we'll give expect that, that, 
excuses and exceptions. We cry for justice against that. Men do indeed fail. Justice does fail. Societies do fail. And to put our hope in society and in the judicial system such that we end up angry and bitter and yelling and screaming and murdering and rooting. That's putting your hope in this world. You can tell by the evidence of your fruit. Yes, you go through the court system. Yes, you may fail. What do you do? You may be greatly disappointed. You may have righteous indignation, to be sure. But we're not going to run around shooting people. We shouldn't. That's really going to show there's a problem. We cry out to our deliverer. God is our deliverer. He is our judge. When we are unjustly treated, we go to him for help. If men fail us, and even if we haven't figured out men failing us, even if men don't fail us, we always cry out to God. It's the first thing we ought to do. Both for private and public injustices, here we often turn the other cheek with private injustices. Christ talks about that in the context there in the Sermon on the Mount. He's not saying never have justice, because obviously we see Paul, as we'll see in the second sermon. Again, I didn't plan this, brothers and sisters. The sermon's coming out in God's providence, where he stands for his right for justice. Because Christ, of course, we know had a special mission. He wasn't going to do that. Now, he laughed at times. He wasn't going to get caught. He said, now's not, not my time, so he disappeared in the crowds. But when it was his time, he wasn't going to exercise anything. He just sat meekly and mildly as he is called to. There are times to turn the other cheek, as he tells us, especially when you're outnumbered. For the sake of unity or peace, as I preached before last week, we look the other way when things are done even wrongly against us. There's a time and place for that. I know it's happened to some of you in our church. I've seen it. And you've done well. And you're good witnesses to me and examples, I believe. And, of course, for public justice, to pray to God, our Lord and Savior. And not just for ourselves, but for others. Here, he says, in verse 5, For the oppression of the poor, for the sign of the needy, now will I rise, says the Lord. So it's no longer a prayer, but it's God speaking through him, saying, I am going to bring deliverance. I am going to bring justice. I will set him, that is the poor and the needy, in the safety for which he yearns. For we want safety. Safety is important. Uh, it is um, misleading when we have a number of conservatives running around saying, uh, you know, give me liberty or give me death. Well, there's a, perhaps a time for that. Many of us believe that, but I don't think necessarily now is the time. If we want a little more security, a little more protection. So there, we have to be careful of the times and seasons and context in which we find ourselves. But the point here being God is speaking and giving us a promise in verse 5 through 7. Third point. The third point is promised justice. That's just the power of the wicked in prayer to the power above the wicked, that is God Almighty, plead to a greater power. But the promise of justice is what we ought to hold clearly to. Verses 5 through 7. 6 and 7 tell us the words of the Lord, a pure word. Words like silver tried in the furnace of the earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them in this generation. Forever. In the name of the oppressed, the point was prior that the prayer for to God for private injustices and for public injustices is also for others. As king, he has others, he has the entire nation. It's with respect to our positions and, and callings in life. There are crimes happening right now in Alaska. Someone died right now in Alaska. Is that something I'm going to be praying about? Probably not. I'm not going to know anything about it. If I do know something about it, I'll probably forget about it. Because it's not within my immediate purview. There's nothing I can do about it besides pray. And even when you pray, you can't pray for everything you know. There's so much deluge of information out there. From Africa, Haiti, Europe. If you read a lot of this stuff, you, you, you not get much done. 
And so when we talk about we should be concerned about injustices elsewhere, it should be that is elsewhere within our domain and influence of power. We have our state, we have our county, we have our city. Take care of our own backyard. The old New York policy was like that. They took care of the local uh, cities with two or three mayors ago. Remember those things? And they cut down on crime a lot by dealing with petty crime, dealing with local crime. That's the root of it. And that seems like a good method. I'm not endorsing it as the only way things change, uh, but that's certainly the general principle. Deal with ourselves, deal with our families, deal with our friends, our neighborhoods, where you have this influence. As a king, he's going to be concerned about the entire nation. That's good. Our presidents and others ought to be, that's their job for justice. Now, I list here the oppression of the poor, the sign of the needy. I don't think I need to explain to my audience how that has been hijacked for the last 50 to 100 years by the liberals, the progressives, and the left. It's go to the passages and quote them, say, oh, it's simple. It's a very naive, simple, and it's naive and simple because it's convenient for their cause. To say, well, there's a poor person there in the street, he's, he's dying, he's got no place to live. That's what God's talking about. Maybe. Maybe. Because we know in the Bible there's a difference between the deserved poor and the undeserved poor. Oppression here, the word is closer to havoc, violence, or destruction. That's how it's commonly used when words are used in the Psalms. Just a bonus information for you. There, they'll have different uses, and it, and it can be difficult sometimes to translate them. But oppression is one translation, or that is to bring havoc, violence, or destruction, whether by physical or financial force, by dents of leaders destroying people through evil law, whatever the case is, the effect is to oppress. It's talking about those upon which the havoc and the violence and destruction is, is brought upon. Needy is a broad term here. It's a different word than you're used to. Israel is not to oppress the hired servant by withholding the wages due to him because he is needy. That's translated poor sometimes, but not only poor. Needy is broader than poor. When we think of poor, we think of financial poor. I mean, it's just an American thing, I guess. Maybe it's just me. And it's not that. It's not just simply financial poor. It could be materially poor. You could have money, which could be in a lot of debt because of things outside of circumstances, for instance. The needy may be those under attack when they don't have the ability to fight back. Anyone less than a rich person could be needy in that context. And so in Micah, if you recall, in chapter 3 and elsewhere, I pointed out very clearly in the text, it's talking about the middle class being taken advantage of, not only the poor, but the middle class. And that is happening in America in spades. And go through my Micah series, I urge you, it's very relevant today, uh, even more so than when I realized when I preached it. Without the middle class, you get a lot of malcontent poor people. Do I need to apply that today? Because it is hard to maintain the middle class today. It's not like what the boomers grew up with. It just simply isn't. Do your homework. Look at the numbers. You'll see. That's a very broad term here. Both the needy and the oppressed here in Psalm 12 are who? Again, this is not hard, but it is hard for the liberals because they don't want to look at it. They don't take the Bible seriously to begin with. It's just a tool for them. It's the Jews. It's not the Egyptians. It's not the barbarians. It's not the Romans. It's the Jews. It's the covenant members in particular. Am I saying never help non-covenant members? No. But it looks like with all our money and our resources being burned up collectively as a nation, I don't think I want to be running around throwing my money to things anymore if you ever did. Let's start taking care of ourselves. Galatians 6.10. We're going to find out, I think. But... Clearly here, contextually, he's talking about people in the church, because to be a Jew is also to be a member of the Old Testament church, period. 
<clears throat> and if you're a lazy bum, you are going to get fed. Even Paul says that. If you don't work, you don't eat. So I talk about deserving poor and undeserving poor. I've dealt with poor people. That may sound harsh and mean, but I've had poor people I, living in my house as a kid. They were homeless. My sister did a little bit of that when she got a little older, found out she was taken advantage of. We found out after three people cycled through a year that we were being taken advantage of. A lot more undeserving poor people out there than you may realize. This is not a prayer for just anyone who happens to be poor, anyone who happens to be needy. It's poor and needy when it's not their fault. And sometimes when it is their fault, you may give them some mercy. I grant there are circumstances like that. It could be mixture. Not everything is clean cut. And the entirety of your poverty is only because of other people's fault. That happens, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's a combination of you made bad decisions and also your, your boss lied to you or something like that, right? And you didn't get the job. So those, again, are best dealt with. Wow, how? In the immediate context of that matter. It's hard to make a one-size-fits-all law to deal with that. Well, that's what they want to do, unfortunately. That's the demand we're hearing. One-size-fits-all law does not work often on those kind of issues. <clears throat> there was a recent kind of conservative article. Conservative. We're finding out who's really conservative in the last two weeks, aren't we? Conservative article about the burning of a famous bookstore. It's a big sci-fi bookstore in California. They lamented about the burned-out bookstore. Oh, woe is us, the end of civilization, right? The bookstore came out in the 50s, I think. It's been around a long time as the icon. But then he turned around and he said, my, my wife reminded me that these looters are the children of God and they're misguided children of God. See, that's that liberalism. The fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. That's what they said over 100 years ago. Because even back then, they were trying to fight systemic racism in their own way. And we're all one, etc., etc. No, there are Christians and un-Christians. There are those with the fallen image of God and those with the renewed image of God. The image of God arguments fall flat that way. They're insufficient. They're not misguided children of God. And they're wicked looters that burn down a man's livelihood and therefore his family's livelihood. These are means, causes, occasions to preserve life, isn't it? It's therefore a violation of which commandment? People think of the eighth. It's also the sixth. Preserving life. Yeah, life took his livelihood. That's what that word means. It maintains life. It gives him food. Grocery stores are being burnt down. Where's the justice in that? They don't have access to their drugs now. Their medications. I saw a video on that. It's terrible. So we cry out for justice before God. The safety promised here. For the oppression of the poor, for the selling of the needy, for our rights, says the Lord, I will set them in safety, or I will deliver them. The safety promised, the word there is Yeshua. Salvation. So it's a broad word. We, we, did, we use that word as well. We talk about the salvation of civilization. We don't mean that in a spiritual sense until Christ dies for civilization. We mean we don't want to lose our livelihood. We don't want to lose our inheritance and our heritage to give to our children and children's children that we were promised by our parents and their parents because everything's generational that way. So it's deliverance or safety for the oppressed and for the needy. Protection from coming harm and deliverance from present harm. However you wish to pray for it. Of course, Jesus is our great Yeshua, our great deliverer, our great savior. He's the savior of our soul. 
And yes, in the Old Testament, often the topics are about politics and social issues. That should not be ignored. This is simply a statement of fact. But they never forgot about their soul. I mean, like Abraham, David, and Moses, although political figures and dealing with political issues and social issues, look for the day of Jesus Christ. Abraham saw that day and rejoiced that it did me. And so did David. David had more revelation. The Lord said to my Lord, sit down on my right hand and rule over my enemies. So deliverance, in the Old Testament context, wasn't just the deliverance of the soul. Even in that song we hear the deliverance of the body as well. Justice is involved in that because justice is a moral concept. We don't see it all now, of course. That was the confusion when Christ came the first time. They were expecting, who can sit on my right? Who's going to sit on your right hand, Lord? Who's going to sit on your left hand? The sons of thunder, right? Their mother's like, come on, take, take my sons. They're really good here. No, it's when Christ comes a second time. And it's hard because we have to wait. We don't get full justice of our body and things right now. The answer may be wait. The answer may be, as God has given us good, good providence, you have the police, you have the firemen, you have the hospitals. There is an answer to some extent for injustices in the world. You can go there and repair yourself or seek out some form of justice, however incomplete. I can thank the Lord for that. Keep praying for those in harm's way across our nation, especially Christians and churches, for their justice, but they, they would ultimately trust the God and not become burned out and bitter and angry at God because they didn't get justice now. It may not happen, but you can always cry to God. He says, I will return, and everything shall be right again. The promise shall stand. That's the point of verses 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in the furnace of the earth, purified seven times. Unlike the liars, because that's how these, this psalm starts out with. <clears throat> they speak idly to one another with flattering lips. They have a double heart when they speak. They say with our tongues we will prevail. So this tongue, this language, this speaking, these words are false words. They're impure words. They're unreliable words. But our God, he gives us a promise. He says, the oppression of the poor, the sighing of the needy, I will give him a safety. I will give him a deliverance for which he yearns. And you can take that to the bank. Because these are pure words, more pure than the purest gold. They are reliable words. We can believe in them. You shall keep them, O Lord. What? Keep your words. You can keep your promise. You should preserve them from this generation forward. He has generational promises for us. That's why we baptize our children. That's what that's saying. I have a song in my head every time I read this text. Some of you may know that song. It's a good song. But that's what it's talking about. It's not, when you sing the song, you think it's, it's a topic of the Word of God and can expound the topic about the Word of God. It is, but it's specifically, contextually what? Evidence, a metaphorical picture of how reliable God is, unlike uh, the social leaders and the politicians and religious leaders who speak out both ends of their mouths. God is reliable. And we can trust on that. We can depend on that. We can depend on that promise, brothers and sisters. His promise is not mixed with error. It is not a gimmick. It is not a trick. You should keep them, O Lord. You should preserve them from generation to generation. We take these words and meditate upon them, give them to our children and our children's children. We can trust in God, brothers and sisters. He will fulfill his promises, and that includes justice. A promised justice. We can have hope in a promised justice. Let us pray to that end that Christ will return quickly. Maranatha. Amen. Let us pray. That is indeed our prayer, God, that you would come quickly, that we would persevere in spite of the chaos around us and difficulties and how distressing it is to see our leadership fall all over themselves to appease the mob. 
our God and Savior, be with us, we pray. We pray for justice. Amen. Amen. Good.